Today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network is brought to you by Gooder Sunglasses. I really appreciate their support in stepping up to back the podcast in such strange and unusual times. It's been a great partnership. I've been wearing their sunglasses all throughout the summer, and I'll continue doing so this fall. So after months of wearing them, here's what I love about these shades. You don't have to worry about them slipping or fogging up when you're running because they have a special grip coating and they're super lightweight. They block out 100% of harmful UVA and UVB rays and they're polarized. The best part about them is that you won't break the bank when you need another pair or when your friend steals them from you because they're jealous of how good you look. So if you visit gooder.com slash Sidious, you can check out all of my favorite pairs and styles. Hit that link, check it all out. On October 2nd, I will be taking a crack at a mile PR, and we'll be doing a little prediction contest to the person who guesses my time correctly or comes the closest. So stay tuned for more details on that and news of a possible showdown. It will be USATF certified and all that jazz. In the meantime, go to gooder.com slash Sidious. That's G-O-O-D-R dot com slash Sidious. Check out the ones I love. Snag a pair. Tag us in your photos with them. Look good. Run gooder. Legs are feeling good. Eyes are looking gooder. My guest for today's episode is Spencer Brown, but many of you might know him as the athlete special from his popular YouTube channel. Some of you who have been following Sidious Mag from the start might be familiar with him because he was one of the original contributors to the site. He even ran a 416 Blue Jean Mile back in 2017 to set a then world record. And he's come a long way since. He's run 339 for 1,500 meters and 359 for the mile as a member of the Georgetown track team. Most recently, Brooks decided to take a chance on him and sign him to a contract that will have him training with the Brooks Beast and coach Danny Mackey in seattle washington so spencer's goal is to make it to the 2021 u.s olympic trials you'll hear more about that how the deal came to be his goals and expectations for himself as well as the background story on when he got his start in running out in the competitive high school scene of connecticut and what led him to pick up a camera and start documenting it all to the masses so without further ado here is the athlete special spencer brown All right, we're live with the athlete special, Spencer Brown. It's funny because you and I, like the first time I ever messaged you was back February 2017, right before the launch of Sidious Mag. I came across your YouTube page. At this point, you were someone filming videos on your iPhone, tossing them up to YouTube, uh, straight out of iMovie where like the transitions were, I recognize that as basic <laughs> iMovie stuff. Now we're here, we're in Boulder. You are a professional runner. Uh, wow, how things have changed. Spencer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. And first off, right off the bat, people talk about being day one supporters of the Athlete Special. Chris is a day, day one. I will tell you that right now. I was, on, I think I was on when, like I remember you celebrating 30,000 subscribers, maybe even like 10,000 subscribers at the time. And now what are you up to now? 55 i just hit 55k you were following me at like 1000 dude you got to give yourself more credit okay I'll, <laughs> I'll i'll take that i was an early subscriber to the athlete specials so um in terms of just like how much things have changed um first off congrats on signing this professional contract how did this come about thank you i appreciate that i'm really excited to be working with brooks for the next year and a half and potentially longer but um yeah the contract uh kind of when COVID hit, everything was very, uh, 
all over the place with um, just like the future of running. And it was my last year of running uh, at the college level. But eventually, um, Brooks was really interested in me as both like an athlete and a social media influencer. Um, so I have a really cool contract with them uh, where I'm going to be on the beast and, and training with them. And, and it's going to be an awesome next year and a half journey of kind of becoming that pro athlete. Uh, something that you haven't really seen before that first year as a professional athlete um, for, for, you know, guys coming right out of college. But um, I've been talking with uh, the marketing team and, you know, Danny Mackey is such a good fit for my type of running that I'm super excited uh, to be able to work with him and, you know, their middle distance program. I think that the Brooks Beasts are probably the the most underrated team uh, in the country, I would say. They're, they're probably like the best middle distance team out there. Um, so it's, it's super exciting to just be a part of that atmosphere. I find it really interesting, sort of like the decision to tap into someone like you, because if we took a step back, and this is something that I've had discussions with with a couple people just leading up to sort of this announcement that, that you had, where um, if we look at the landscape of pro running, we know obviously money is fairly tight right now. and. In 2011, 12, you would have guys who broke four minutes for the mile. They did did well at NCAA's, and they'd get you know a shoe contract of some sorts. And then sometime in the last like three or four years, just breaking four minutes didn't do it. Like that wasn't enough. Now it's you know have to do really well at NCAA's, find a chance to run really fast times. So what what do you think is the risk or sort of the, the what went into the decision, do you think, to tap into someone like you who's doing things, I think, a little bit differently? You have run sub four. You did well in college. Uh, unfortunately, like so like your senior year got wiped out <laughs> due to covid. But then it's for a company like Brooks. They're tapping into this audience now that you have that not necessarily a person with like faster PRs has. So. That's sort of like the reward that they get. What kind of risk do you think you sort of assess or see in their move? Well, yeah, first out or first off, big shout out to Brooks for even just taking that chance on, you know, an athlete of my caliber. I was always kind of like the worst of the best uh, in college towards the end of my career. I kind of finally tapped into that elite category. But yeah, it goes without saying that, you know, the guys on the beast are some of the best guys in the world, whereas uh, I was just a very good college runner, but I, I didn't have any NCAA titles or anything like that. But um, I think some of the risks are just, you know, you're going to, the whole world's going to have their eyes on me and, you know, their team now. Uh, and they're just going to have to find out what happens. I have incredible confidence in myself and the, the whole organization at Brooks. So I don't see it as much of a risk. Um, if anything, if I don't pan out, then they just drop me after a year <laughs> and a half, and that's that. Um, if I do, then that'd be awesome. I, I'm on the beast even longer, and um, it's just it's something that I think is a win-win for everyone. Um, marketability with runners is something that the sport lacks, and I kind of went from making YouTube videos uh, sort of just for fun to, like, realizing that there's such a big market out there for runners. Um, that I could tap into. So that, that's something I've kind of worked on throughout the years recently. And um, I kind of understand that game. And, and that's why I think that Brooks is going to really work well with me. 
I want to get to the reason why you started doing videos in the first place. What, what went into that? Why did you pick up the camera and why did you start? Because um, it's, it's taken off into this whole thing that I don't think you would have expected it to be this big when you first started. Yeah, I, <laughs> it was never, the intentions with my YouTube channel were never uh, to have like a massive following or anything like that. And I think that like early viewers such as yourself kind of just saw this guy like goofing around with his college teammates. It probably brought you back to your college days and, you know, having fun and, and showing that side of runners. And then all of a sudden I realized that people actually kind of liked that you know that storyline of the improvement in college the the ups the downs and just the authenticity like i i try to be as real as i can with my viewers um obviously i fluff it up sometimes when i'm acting up for the camera but people they they appreciate that at times but for the most part i think just being very real with my viewers has has helped it grow so much um but yeah it did not start uh with any intentions of where it's at right now and i think that's the cool thing because i don't know where it's going to be in two three years from now um i kind of take it day by day and things have worked out pretty well but uh as long as i can keep putting out content that people like and keep running well and keep enjoying the sport i think that there's only really ups from here there's that little bit of like awkwardness at the very beginning where it's you're taking sort of selfie videos and you're pulling out your phone and recording around your teammates who are wondering like why are you doing this or like what are you doing and like can you just get the camera away at what point sort of did that guard come down and everyone start to feel comfortable that you started to feel comfortable um when did you really sort of like hit that stride yeah so <laughs> first off shout out to mike uh michael clevenger um he um he was definitely one of those guys who did not like me putting the camera in his face, but he's a friend of Chris as well. Um, and I think that the first, you're totally right. The first like thousand subscribers is just a grind and it takes a while to get. And like, it is very cringy and it's me just like, like I said, messing around and, and like a lot of the teammates are like, dude, what are you even doing? The coaches are like, come on, like stop goofing around. But it really transitioned like when I got to around 5,000 subscribers, people started to f legitimize what I was doing, um, or at least I did. And uh, from there, like, I think the big move for me was like maybe around 30,000. I got a, a real camera. I was off the iPhone finally. <laughs> that was huge. Uh, I probably should have gotten a camera way earlier. But yeah, it was around that 5,000 range where it was like, oh, you're starting to get recognized at meets by some random high school kids. Like, oh, people actually kind of know who you are as a runner and like are into into your story, not just you making weird videos of you messing around with the team. That, that's when it sort of transitioned. And you can kind of see my content change from just like vloggy stuff to like more workouts and more advice videos and training stuff. Um, so maybe when I started taking myself more serious, then it, then it changed a little bit. How did you handle that at first when a kid would come up to you at a, at a meet and be like, Oh my God, you're the athlete special. <laughs> I feel like I most people it. know you as like the athlete special as opposed to Spencer Brown. Yeah. I, I'll, for sure. A lot of people don't know my actual name. They'll be like, are you the athlete special? Steven, is that your name or something like that? Um, I remember like the first time a kid was like, Hey man, I watch your YouTube videos. I felt so cool. And like, I think maybe I had a couple thousand followers at that point. And, uh, 
now it almost feels normal if I go for a run and someone just shouts me out, Hey, watch your videos. Um, but for a while, like that honeymoon phase of when you're first starting to not get big, cause I'm still not big, but you know, get more noticed, noticed, um, was, was awesome. And, and, and I never, and what you mean by like, how did you handle that? I, I, it never really made me feel more stressed out before races or performance stuff. Like people respect your space before a race. The, it can be a little annoying if like I'm at Boston, uh, at that indoor track there and it's super crowded and people are trying to say stuff to me before I race. And like, I'm just trying to be in the zone. It can, that's, I wouldn't say it's annoying. Mm-hmm. I feel bad because I want to kind of say what's up to people and, and, you know, talk, but I can't really. Um, but for the most part, I love it. And, uh, it's, it's, I don't, it's weird that it's gotten normal, you know? Yeah. So when, as you, as you're kind of are developing this YouTube channel and are assessing sort of like, Hey, I think I'm doing something different and special here. What did you sort of pick up on things that are lacking sort of in the pro running space that, now I think Brooks has probably seen to a benefit in having you. Yeah. I think that the, like the biggest, uh, missing component from the sport of running is personalities. Um, because there are awesome personalities in the sport. There's awesome characters in the sport that just aren't getting that, uh, attention, I guess you could say, and aren't putting themselves out there because, Running is a very traditional sport and it hasn't evolved much until the recent years with social media. Um, it's, it's getting to the point where I think we are actually experiencing it right now, but it's going to be this social media explosion of like really getting the sport to that next level, making it a lot bigger. But I think, yeah, what, what the sport is missing is seeing the runner as a person, not just the guy who lines up and, and races, um, people love to see, it was weird because <laughs> people loved watching me fail. They loved watching <laughs> me have bad races and not, they weren't happy. I would have them, but they were like, Oh, this guy's a human too. He has bad races. He can talk about it. He felt like crap on this workout today. And like just that authentic, uh, part of running is what people love to hear. And at the end of the day, like we're all different levels of running, but it's such a similar sport from the highest level to the mid tier to the low, like Mm -hmm. in terms of how serious you take it, like it's, it's such a beautiful sport that, uh, there's so many different, I guess, like what I said, levels, but people are the same in Mm -hmm. in some ways. So uh, to play the devil's advocate and to hit the, the counterpoint, I guess, to this social media boom that's happening, uh, the argument could be made that, you know, Instagram followers, YouTube subscribers don't win medals, like, at, at the end of the day. How do you strike the balance between what your role is going to be professionally uh, on the track and also creatively in this other space where people are, people go to you to, to see what's real? Yeah, so I guess to that point a little bit, like, I think some people like to get upset that, like, someone like me who maybe won't be a world champion one day has a following as I do. Um, but I'm, I think that what I made is something, what I did, uh, anyone else can do and more people should be doing that. Um, and like, yeah, totally. It's the, the running market's starting to get a lot bigger. Like there's, there's more people 
making YouTube channels because they just realized I can do that. And like, you know, I had an iPhone till 30,000 subscribers. I'm still using iMovie to this day. It doesn't have to be like unbelievable quality videos. Um, but there's a lot, I think people are a little scared to make that jump. Um, and just having no fear really, uh, helps me stay motivated to, you know, put out content and also show the, you know, that I'm a somewhat of an elite runner mm -hmm. and I'm trying my best to, to continue. Um, but I think it's going to be a, a balance over the next couple of years of just like that, that first, you know, section of being a pro, like how I handle that in general, which people are going to be excited about. And I don't know what's going to happen at this point. So, uh, I guess I'm looking forward to it though. Yeah. Cause it'll be interesting. I guess like one of the big things it's like, you go into this group where you know there's a good chance you're going to be getting your ass kicked in workouts left and right <laughs> by Josh Kerr and like David Ribich and at the same time like it's guys like that who can benefit from having they've got a podcast and and they're doing a great job with it having a guy like you around who knows who has this massive audience that they can also get introduced to and at the same time, there could be like someone, I, I don't know, I, I don't know Garrett Heath that well, but I just know that he's an intense competitor and, you know, he's going to be all systems go for the trials next year. Whereas you're going to be the kid with the camera around and how's he going to handle something like that? Like, well, how are you sort of like thinking ahead to, to these kind of things? Yeah, I trust <laughs> me, I, I am thinking ahead because the last thing I want to do is show up to practice uh with a camera shoved in Josh Kersey's <laughs> face and be like, Hey man, what's up? I'm going to definitely, uh, well, I'm moving out to Seattle in about two weeks. Um, and we don't have practice until October. So I'm going to really make it a mission to get to know these people off camera. Uh, hopefully they can get to know me, um, a little bit off camera as well. Know that I'm not all on all the time. Yeah. I'm not this asshole with a mullet who calls himself the King of Boulder uh, all the time. That's sort of a joke. I want people to understand that. Um, and that like, I, I am really trying to be as authentic as possible with this and not um, not make it a production. I think it's, it's way more seamless when uh, everything is sort of, it, it almost feels like there's no camera there. And I would never, push the camera in their faces um and if they don't want to be on camera then i'm totally okay with yeah, that yeah. it's not up to me does it feel like freshman year all, all over again it, yes it does 100 <laughs> percent. and i'm excited about that i love like i love being a freshman in high school i love being a freshman in college and i guess it's freshman year of pro running so it, it it for sure feels similar to that um and i'm just excited to get to know these guys get to know this team and just you know build a great relationship with all of them and uh you know obviously become a great runner as well and be competitive on the track with them and you know just shut up and work you know yeah in a way to i mean in with the platform that you have it's sort of you also help elevate others like in I mean, I just walked into this house and I recognized Ari from the videos. And so it's like, oh, I know more about him than he probably thinks I do because, you know, I've seen him in a, in a couple of your videos. And there's going to be that same exact thing that I think that happens with some of the B Brooks B. So that's like a positive. How have you sort of handled um, and balanced sort of elevating the people around you at the same time because I'm, I'm sure like no one really should know enough uh, as much as they probably do about some of these guys on the georgetown team that you've had in videos before yeah well that's a lot of that is just 
I I don't really try to put that on on like them to be a character. If, if they want to be a part of the the, sh the channel, the the journey, then I'm totally down for that. Um, Ari loves being on camera. <laughs> he absolutely loves the social media stuff. Um, he's not the devil of Boulder in real life. He's a bit different than that. But uh, and then in, and with college too, like there was. Uh, plenty of guys who just did not want to be on camera and said don't don't film me and i tried my best to kind of respect their privacy um and i'm sure that there's going to be guys like that on the beast as well uh that are not as enthusiastic about being filmed all the time and that's totally cool but uh i think it's my job to make them feel comfortable in front of the camera and make them kind of want to tell their stories as well because there's so, everyone has a cool story yeah. that's what we're finding out in the running world um and guys, uh, I mean, especially on the Brooks Beast, I think are very not talked about. Um, and they're awesome runners and awesome people. And they're, they're from all over the world, all over the country. So there's just so much we can do with that. And I want to almost make the channel about the team if I can. And I think that that's the goal that Brooks and I have kind of aligned with, that we're trying to kind of make this cool story that's that's true and that's real and just give them the exposure that they deserve if if they want it athletically what goals have you sort of set for yourself is it still make the trials definitely i i my goal this year is to make the trials um i think the standard is maybe 337 mid or so mm -hmm. i i ran 339 high over a year ago um i my my goals have always been the same. I, I'd like to run 337 or 336 within the year. I think I have a lot left on the table for the 800. I think I can run 147 pretty close to right now. Um, but, you know, I can talk about it all I want yeah. until you actually do it. It means literally nothing. So uh, my goals have been the same uh, since before and after this Brooks situation. Uh, and I, I'm just super excited to work with Danny Mackey and their whole team because – as I said earlier, I'm a, I'm a middle distance guy at heart, and uh, my college coach, Coach Bonzi, did an amazing job of kind of setting me up for this opportunity. Um, and I think that I have so much left to give to the sport. I could never, like, I could never, I don't know, you're the same way. You, you could never walk away mm -hmm. without knowing that you, you are completely at your best. You, you know, I've, I, I know I've got times that need to be run. So sort of to dive into, I love the, the sub four story that you told. Um, and it really begins sort of like with, with your dad. What has he made of you signing this contract and turning pro? He's, he's really excited about it. And, you know, he's been like my mentor my literal entire life. Um, that sub four story on YouTube would kind of show that whole thing. But, um, yeah, he, he would do anything to try to help me pursue my dreams of, you know, continuing to run after college, whether it's, you know, work a part-time job somewhere, he would support me. To, he would always support me to follow the dream of running. And just having that is so incredible. Um, I'm super thankful for him. And uh, he's pretty clearly my biggest uh, motivator in life. And you know, he has no problem bitching me out after a poor performance at all. And, you know, what's the worst he's given it to you? 
Ah, maybe after some cross country race, he just sent me some horribly mean texts about how I'm a mental head case and all this mean stuff, which, you know, at the time maybe it was true, but it's tough you love. Know. Sometimes you need that. Yeah. I think it's tough love and he has a, he does a good job balancing it. Um, sometimes he, he gets a little excited and wants me to work out harder and, and kind of pesters coach Bonzi or he did for a bit, but <laughs> he always had great intentions and, uh, he's going to be they're having my back for this next chapter of running and uh you know it's he at the end of the day like will do anything he can to to try to keep me going so what i have written down and this is just like a bunch of notes and stuff i took this like when i was watching the sub four story as it was going along i've got a bunch of questions here that i've just written about sort of as um things as i was watching so i want to know more about Keith's uh, ballet dance. Like, how far did he take that? So he went to Michigan for two years, and then actually after cross country his his sophomore year, he was checked out of running. He didn't want to do it anymore. Um, he dropped out of school, uh, became a professional ballet dancer, owned a studio for a couple of years. This was like the '70s or something. I don't know. It was a different world. Um, He's an incredible athlete, though, because he, he did ballet for a couple of years, and he was really good, owned the studio, and then um, got back into running and then decided to do marathoning after and then got down pretty quick in that. So he kind of just, I mean, your guess is as good as mine why he did that, but it's, <laughs> it's, I just think it's really funny. There's some funny pictures of him. Yeah, yeah, but, you included a couple <laughs> of them in the video. Yeah, I, I don't have a good answer for why he did that but hey follow your passions right there of course uh and then there was a point i guess where like he was running like kind of in the same races like bill rogers and that kind of stuff yeah yeah so his big flex to me what like that he always will have is i beat bill rogers in a in a marathon i'm sure bill rogers was blowing up and he was probably <laughs> at the tail end of his career but he did beat bill rogers at i think the world cup in canada i don't remember what year you could look it up it did happen um so yeah, he he loves to talk about that. But he was in that area with um, one of his really good friends, Greg Meyer. He won the Boston Marathon. Yeah. They're they're like best friends. They trained together in Boston a little bit. I think Bill Rogers was there at one point. So my dad knew Bill Rogers decently, um, and obviously was not nearly as good as him. But uh, they were all kind of in that same era. And and running at the time, uh, he said was probably like bigger than it is now in terms of like distance running there's a massive boom in the 70s and 80s mm -hmm. where everyone was running like 100 mile weeks um, and just you know I think the Boston Marathon was probably more competitive then in that like 10th and slower range than it is now and then so that's around like the 1980s Olympic boycott right oh yeah so that was that that's the other thing so he was the third American at uh, the World Cup in 1979 i want to say oh i don't want to say the wrong year but he was he was the third american um or at least ranked third in as american for the the trials that coming year but then 1980 the u.s boycotted the olympics so he thought he had a very very good shot of making the olympic team but then obviously we didn't go but he's not butthurt about that it's you know it happened, and he just kind of moved on with his life. At what point in your childhood did you start hearing some of these stories and start picking up on just your dad's athletic achievements? Never from him. I, I never really heard from him. I just knew that he ran. He would always, I mean, when I was a kid, he would always, you know, be running a lot when he was a lot younger. Um, and then I, 
in third grade, I had like this turkey trot race and it was my entire class and I ended up winning it. And that was like the first time I had actually run. Um, and then from there, my mom kind of was like, yeah, your dad was a very good runner. So it makes sense that you're pretty good as well. So that's sort of how I kind of, uh, learned his origin story but then as soon as like he saw that I could be a good runner he kind of got carried away and was like all right I'm gonna start training you is that sort of the middle school sort of early high school like years with like because at this point like not enough people talk about how deep Connecticut high school cross country was <laughs> around this time yeah that that's another thing to talk about like middle school my dad was pushing me hard but I was also teammates with this kid Alex Osberg right. I'm sure a lot of people on this podcast will know who he is Stanford All-American transferred to UNC for his sixth year but um yeah like for my own teammate in middle school to be a better runner than me when I was supposed to be some like superstar Alex Osberg was the best kid in the country at the time and then it's like Christ I go to high school and Henry Wynn is now the guy mm -hmm. and he runs for the Brooks Beast he's gonna be uh, a teammate of mine so he Connecticut is very deep. I appreciate you saying that. It doesn't seem that good of a state at running, but there's a lot of good guys from Connecticut. And well, of I always hear about it like around Thanksgiving when everyone goes back to like their turkey trots and you realize that you can't just jog in like an 1820 to win your <laughs> turkey trot because you happen to live in the same neighborhood as, uh, you know, someone like Henry Wynn or Alex Osberg. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. I do a local turkey trot every year. Uh, Southport, Connecticut. Henry Wynn shows up there and crushes me every time. So it's like, <laughs> it, it is it is a very competitive state, um, and we we were prideful of it, I suppose. Ari Clow is from Connecticut as well, and you know he's still running today. So there's a big a big running community in Connecticut, um, and I think that the state's doing amazing right now as well with some younger kids. So it's cool to see that continue. So through high school, what was the uh, father, son, and then like athlete coach balance. Like, yeah. So my dad coached me mostly in high school. Um, my, my high school coach kind of allowed him to, or was cool with passing me off to my dad mm -hmm. and they, they kind of worked together. Um, but my dad wrote up a lot of the workouts and you know, it's, he, we both did it together. He didn't really know what he was doing. He hadn't coached before that. And we, we learned, uh, how to do it well uh, through a lot of trial and error. Um, I I don't like when he puts pressure on me. I, I personally think it kind of gets in my head a little bit. I can admit that now. But uh, if – or, like, I don't know. He it. I'm trying to think right now of a good example. Like, sometimes he would be a little aggressive with uh, 400-meter workouts. He would give me, like, 20 by 400. Yeah, I think that one stuck and, out. Right? <laughs> and when I was pretty young and, like – Eventually, when I was old enough and mature enough to kind of uh, have some say in the conversation about what I did, uh, it worked better. And, and we, we really bounce well off each other. Um, at the end of the day, he's my biggest fan. So that's always good to have in the back pocket. And if he's confident in me, or at least shows that he's confident in me, I, I'm usually confident and, and, you know, it drives me to do well. So it works out well. Um, it's never easy, the father-son-coach-athlete relationship. But it didn't, like, I love my dad and we're awesome together. It's not like it ruined our relationship. Um, it was mostly good. He, I ran really well in high school under him. And, uh, you know, 
didn't burn out in college so there was this chip on your shoulder that you sort of like carried the entire time sort of as being like the smaller guy on most teams and then eventually becoming like the top guy at your high school did that sort of lead to any sort of change in the way you approached races and just sort of like your your own competitiveness yeah i i i think that what's really helped me over the years is not ever being like the best like you were saying earlier, when I was in middle school, I wasn't the best. Um, Alex Osberg would beat me. When I was in high school, there was Alex around. Henry Wynn was around. All these guys were crazy good around me. So I think that when I went to college uh, and I went to a really good school like Georgetown for, for running, it didn't really intimidate me that there was a bunch of good guys because I was sort of never the guy for the state of Connecticut. Um, I was the best on my high school team, but still, like, you know, Alex Osberg did live a town over from me in high school. So um, I, I, I was able to adjust well because I think I didn't have a massive ego. So how did that uh, rivalry with Alex continue in high school? Because you weren't teammates in high school. Yeah. So in, in high school, I mean, first off, people probably don't know Alex too well, but he's like the nicest human right, being so rivalry ever. can be hard to be because there's so much negative connotation that comes with that word. <laughs> yeah. He, he's like the most humble guy ever, the smartest guy ever, of course, goes to Stanford, is amazing there too. And it's just like, gosh, like this guy's a perfect human being. I can't even be mad at him ever. Um, but I think that more so than anything, he just pushed me hard. And like, you know, he was so talented in those longer races, that two mile and 5K in high school. And usually I was the better guy in the 800 and we kind of meet somewhere in the middle in the mile. So I think that for some people, rivalries like that can, uh, you know, discourage them, but I think it just made us both better. Um, and it wasn't like we were just like the only two guys button heads every race. It was just more of a rivalry of uh, the fact that we grew up together mm -hmm. through running and we still are now. And we love like, I think he broke four minutes in the mile one week before I did in college, which is kind of funny, yeah, that's <laughs> but it's just crazy how it all worked out. And like more so than anything, like that Connecticut culture of running is just like, we're just proud to kind of be guys who are still kind of around we've been around forever and we're still we're still kind of creeping our way up there so i've got a couple notes written down from to sum up sort of like high school for you you ran 426 in ninth grade and it was like where you kind of like dubbed it as like you were no longer sort of you didn't see yourself as just like a freshman at that point uh you're making some noise you've got like a great series of just like ups and downs and that's kind of like what makes sort of like the the dramatics of following like the athlete special is just like for every high there's a low like for example it's like you won a state title but then after that like you've got this huge failure at the new england championships where you finish like 26th the danbury dream mile you run 419 for like a school record was it really that much of a roller coaster in high school for you? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and probably because I was doing like 20 or 30 or 40 miles a week, I wasn't really that consistent back then. But yeah, I think that if you look at all runners too, for the most, unless you're like Drew Hunter, Grant Fisher, those guys who were just amazing the whole time that mm -hmm. they were in high school, like there are so many ups and downs and like you just have to keep kind of going up to bat after like you mess up a race or a workout or you know you get sick and you have to get healthy again or you get hurt and you have to get healthy again um i think that that's sort of what makes me relatable to all runners like that's just how running is i mean you've probably gotten hurt or injured or out of shape 
dozens of times. Out of shape. I, I've never gotten <laughs> hurt, but I'm constantly out of shape. Yeah. <laughs> so you totally get it. Well, that's good that you've never been hurt. But yeah. Um, and then it's just like this, this long journey of kind of linear growth, or at least it has been for me. But it's sort of this just up and down mm-hmm. linear of just like you take two steps forward, one back, and just it's that long progression. Um, in college, I got a lot more consistent. There's still a lot of ups and downs, though. Um, for a couple of years, I was a little stagnant and where I think a lot of guys would have been like, you know, maybe I just don't want to do this. I kind of deep down knew that there's still a lot to give. And uh, I think it's just really trusting the process. I, I hate to say it because it's so cliche and like people who don't really understand what it means will just don't like when people say trust the process, mm-hmm. but you just kind of have to. Yeah. So what's it mean to you? I trust the process to me means like, don't be upset after an individual performance. It's, it's just part of the process or don't get too high after a good race um, or too low after a bad one. And that if you generally have goals and you want to be better over a long period of time, you're gonna, no matter what, experience really, really shitty times in your life and really awesome times. Uh, and I'm just talking in terms of running. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, uh, you know, are able to be okay with that and accept that, then I think you're going to be okay with running. And if you know, you know, at times you might get hurt and you just have to suck it up and just turn off running for a couple of weeks and stop caring, then that's, that's good. Um, it's just, yeah, that's, that's sort of generally yeah, it. Yeah. And then just, I guess the last thing to that is just, really uh staying even keeled over the years and just you know you can never let yourself slip too hard one way or the other because if you do that's when you run into trouble so yeah going to georgetown what went into that decision and then what did you expect to get out of running in college so i went to georgetown one because it's a great academic school and it's somewhat close to home it's about five hour drive for me I loved Washington, D.C., and athletically, the year before I went there, they had four guys break four in the mile, and that's sort of what my goal was um, at the time. I wanted to be a sub-four-minute miler and just see how far I could get, um, and I thought Georgetown was like a perfect fit for middle-distance running, and it lived up to the expectations. Um, at this point, you can literally watch my entire Georgetown career on YouTube if you care enough yeah. to, but uh, yeah, I... I got everything I could out of the school, I think, uh, both from an athletic and academic perspective. Um, College is, I mean, I'll say it right now, it is very difficult um, to balance that athletic and academic lifestyle. And I would say most Division I runners probably leave college a little disappointed with how they ran. Um, It's just really hard at that level. It's a big transition. And, um, you know, there were for sure times where I was like, do I want to be doing this anymore? You know, and you just kind of, you got to fight through those moments. Um, And I guess my advice to people out there would be like, if you, if you ever think like it's a burden or like it's deterring you from like living the fun college lifestyle, then you shouldn't be running. But I never thought of it like it was a hassle running. Mm -hmm. You know, I always loved it. It was always what I wanted to do. And I didn't want running to be done after college even when I was in high school, I've always wanted to continue. Um, if I didn't get some sort of contract with Brooks, I was still going to keep running. You know, it wasn't like 
that was that was it for me. I was going to have to get some sort of other job on the side, but I was going to figure it out one way or another. That was, I think, one thing. I think when we first, like, linked up in 2017, it was like, I don't remember exactly what your PR was at that point, but it wasn't it wasn't yet close enough to like sub four to, to be like, Oh, like you'll get this next year or anything like that. But it was, um, like I knew we were going to watch sort of like your NCAA career unfold. And there even came a point where I don't remember if I asked you directly or maybe texted you, but it's like, what's going to happen next. And like, when, what is the finish line to this YouTube channel? Because it's like, you just start to, you know, four years, five years happen. And then what happens next? It's sort of like when you watch like a TV show on Netflix that takes place in high school and you realize, oh, man, we can only get two or three more seasons out of this thing. Um, <laughs> so what at what point did so you said from the get go you were going to keep this thing going? Did you start to sort of like tier goals during your senior year where it was like, you know what, now let's focus on sub four. This is something that no matter what, if it happens in a Georgetown uniform or not, people are going to be in tune to. And then beyond that, it starts to get a little unclear. Right. Yeah. So it, it's I'm glad that you pointed that out that, you know, when we first met, there was there was I, I had the goals always, but like I wasn't close to them. And it was sort of this long chipping away process, kind of improving by a second or two a year. And then, you know, I had always had that vision of breaking four. And for a while, it was a mental barrier for me. I, I thought I was physically capable of doing it for a while, but I kept just, you know, getting in my head about it. But when I eventually told myself to stop thinking about the times and just compete, I was able to break four. And from there, um, that's when my YouTube channel took off. And then mm -hmm. I started thinking about uh, running in a different way when more and more people started watching me. And I was like, you know what? Whether or not I, I run, you know, win NCAAs and get a sick contract, like there might be something I can do with this channel that's going to allow me to keep going with running. And I've got such a big support system with people that I, I think that I owe it to everyone to keep going until I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so getting a lot more uh, followers and, um, you know, I don't want to sound vain, but just having a bigger support system, you know, having my back sort of motivated me to want to get better at running and want to push harder. And I found that as my video started to do better, running started to do better, which is really kind of crazy but it makes sense at the, at some ways they're they've, they're very parallel with each other but yeah running um it's i'm in a great spot now and you know i'm thankful every day for the the opportunity that brooks has presented itself with with me so i'm just excited to keep this going and i, I think i saw a comment like uh it was like spencer brown or it was like wilton running club spencer brown Wilton High School, Spencer Brown, Georgetown, Spencer Brown. Now it's Brooks, Spencer Brown. So it is almost like that next season, that next chapter of yeah. the athlete special that I, I hope it's a long one. And I hope that, uh, you know, there's a chapter after that. And, and you know, who knows what's going to happen. But, you know, hopefully I'm not like 40 years old <laughs> trying to crank out YouTube videos still and no one's watching me. But you kind of get the point. When you were in in college, it's, there's, a, there's just some overlap here where – Someone like Ryan Trahan is also in in college doing YouTube videos. I don't know. Are you guys the same year? Possibly. I, right? I think he's one year younger. Okay. So he went to Texas A&M for a year, was recruited out of high school to go run there, runs for a bit until they tell him that he has to demonetize his YouTube channel in order to keep going. 
for you, was that ever something in the back of your head? Like now in retrospect, you can speak your mind because, I mean, uh, it's, you're not under NCAA rules or anything like that. But getting that many viewers, knowing that there's just this, this flow, that's, that's, uh, this, this cash flow that could be coming into your pocket, that's ultimately why Ryan Trahan just decided, it's like, you know what, I'm going to go out and venture off and do my own thing, which it's like now he does much fewer running stuff. I think he's like very much detached from the running world in, in a, a little bit. Um, but for you, I guess, how did you sort of deal with that sort of like the, the pay for play debate, even though it's like, it's very easy to say, okay, if we're going to start paying athletes, you pay the football players, you pay the basketball players. That's yeah. the, the big sports in track. The model can sort of sometimes be much more individualized. And I think that's something where you or an Emma Abrahamson while she was in college could have like benefited from if the rules were a little bit different. Did you ever think about that? Well, yeah, I definitely missed out on a pretty good amount of money by the end of college. Do you college. have an estimate of like how much you think it was? I would say $18,000 probably. Wow. In a year that I missed out on. Um, with just with ad revenue mm -hmm. you can't monetize so i i i mean i knew i was going to do running after college so i wasn't thinking about it i'm a little salty that i think they're changing the rule as i'm yeah. leaving so i'm happy about that though i don't think i like had any i don't think i helped make that happen or anything like that i, I never i was always just concerned with messing around with that type of thing in college and and trying to fight for it because I really, really am runner first. Like, I love my YouTube channel. I love having it, but like, I really care about trying to run fast. I didn't want to lose my scholarship at Georgetown to try to fight for something. But yeah, for sure. Like, I think it's you know stupid that athletes, especially YouTubers, we're like a different category. I can't monetize my videos because of the NCAA. Like, no one's making money. That like, I don't know. I I just think, obviously, with football players, basketball players, it's one thing. But like, YouTubers, like. In the running world, I, I think that it was completely unfair that we couldn't monetize, and I'm glad to see that there's changes. And I think that it, I was also just in such a weird box because it's not like mm -hmm. I'm a NCAA runners. If they could, like, who? What do you? What would they make money on? Like their jerseys? Right. Who? What? Who wants to wear a runner's jersey from a school? But like, I just had a, a different type of following um, that I think I, I definitely. Uh, created for myself so I felt like it wasn't like the NCAA created gave me that opportunity mm -hmm. um, I, gu I guess they sort of did because I had the platform of Georgetown but at the same time I don't know I think that I, I wish I could have been able to make money but I'm I am where I am now and I'm not too upset but yeah th I think that's a good point to bring up who what youtubers did you look up to or sort of like model things after as you were starting to get deep in the game well, I mean, I've always been a big fan of Emma because at the like with this whole running YouTuber social media thing, um, I I really was the OG besides like these other guys like CC Runner or someone like that. I was the OG and I couldn't seem to get a big following. But then people like Emma Abramson just popped off immediately. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap, you can actually get big for this. And then Zach Levitt came around and he popped off and I was like, all right, game on. Like, I'm going to start clickbaiting videos more. I'm going to start doing better thumbnails, maybe target my audience towards uh, people who are interested in workouts and just put more effort into it. So I, I really appreciate having someone, especially like Emma, because she was the first YouTuber 
in the running world that blew up besides like Trahan, but he was mm-hmm. sort of off on his own stuff by that time. But yeah, though, I, I would say I look up to Emma at some points. I looked up to Zach when he was really throwing out a lot of running content. Um, and then you just get better at playing the game. Uh, it's a little frustrating that like in order to have a video that pops off, you need a great thumbnail because it's yeah. like, that's the last thing I think about. If I edit a sick video and it's just the thumbnail sucks, then it's, it's yeah. not going to do well. But, uh, for the most part, I've gotten pretty good at YouTube. I've, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time and I really, really did start from like just crap. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember there was even that like pocket of your time at Georgetown. This must've been after cross country of your junior year. I think it was where things went wrong and you guys didn't make NCAAs and yeah. then you just went dark for a bit. Yeah, I'm actually surprised you remember that, but I was pretty checked out at that point from YouTube. Um, my whole YouTube career for the first like three or four years was me just like doing it, doing it, quit for a little bit, do it a little bit more, quit, do mm-hmm. it, quit. And that was a long quit. Like I probably didn't upload a video for like six or seven months. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know, I don't want to do this anymore. At that point, I was so small time too, but then that is around sort of the time when Emma popped mm-hmm. off and I was like, wait, this is actually a thing now. Um, and I kind of got back into the game and I like having more YouTubers uh, in the running world out there because they, they, at the end of the day, they, they pull you up with them. It's not like they're competitors of you. They literally just help you get and more you views as well. A bunch of crossovers and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Especially this summer with uh, the whole Boulder stuff going on. Um, it's been really fun just like meeting a bunch of people and doing yeah collaboration videos and it just helps everyone it's just this cross contamination of just so much positive uh energy what's been the biggest beef this summer out here in boulder (sighs) i mean i keep trying to beef with sam parsons but he just won't bite he will (laughs) not bite he's too good of a guy sam and drew like uh, I call myself the king of Boulder. They don't fall for it. Uh, I don't know. Some of the other Tin Man guys maybe don't appreciate me that much. Um, I think that uh, for a little while, Noah Drotti was not messing with <laughs> us, but we kind of put him down. Um, there's no real beef. It's all it's all fluff. <laughs> I, like The problem is that everyone's too nice in the yeah. running world, and like I jokingly try to beef with these people, and some people just take it the wrong way and get quiet and don't want to fire back mm-hmm. but it's like come on like i thought more people would bite on the king of boulder and i got some people you know thinking uh you know, talking about it joe Kleckers in the conversation oliver oliver Hoare is obviously probably the king of boulder <laughs> he has the mile record um i really wanted to try to break four here and be the first person to break four in colorado but they crushed it now so there's no point of doing that um but yeah, I would say Sam Parsons, if you're listening, it's still me and you, man. You're still my son. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> seriously, though, they're all such nice guys. They don't they don't want any part in that. Yeah. And they're just I don't know. It's, they, it's funny because it's like such a younger generation type of thing right now, because I saw it was Morgan Pearson, I think, tweeted out is like, who is the uh, best runner in Boulder right now? And the options were like Joe Klecker. Uh, Drew Hunter, Oliver Hoare, and then I think some old guy responded. It was like, I think you forgot the fact that I think Frank Shorter lives in Boulder. And so it's like, he might not be the fastest now, but like he's definitely, he might be the king of Boulder when it comes down to it. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's such an active city. It's crazy. We, My friend saw 
uh, Tyler Hamilton, the, really? this, this pro biker. He lives out yeah. here, I think, just walking around on Pearl Street. And it's like, whoa, that was Tyler Hamilton. That's He's a wild. very good, uh, you know, cyclist back in the day. Um, and, yeah, it's like that's why I think there's even more – of a joke with me calling myself the king of boulder because i'm so clearly not the best athlete <laughs> you here just got here <laughs> yeah yeah so i did what i could try to do to try and stir the pot and hey no one was talking about the king of boulder before this summer and now <laughs> people are actually trying to figure out who it is so i'm giving it to myself i always will but you know i'm glad that i could at least kind of be here for this this mm -hmm. fun time in boulder during such a weird time uh sort of on this past year you break four for the first time you, uh, I guess, are riding this momentum going into your senior indoor and outdoor season. COVID happens, knocks out the season. I remember sort of like there's just a moment where it's like, all right, I guess it's time now to monetize the YouTube channel. And that was kind of like, at, it was very early on, I would say, because you still hadn't heard of like, all right, what eligibility rules changes are they going to make because of all of this? But you were just kind of like, all right, it's time to just monetize this thing. And I took it as a sign he's going pro or just at least going to do this post-collegiately on his own. What went into sort of that decision and how much do you think you missed out on that final outdoor season? Well, I think I, I was in a – I got incredibly uh, blessed with the whole Brooks contract and that situation and how that worked out. Um, so I'm super thankful for that. But uh, – the moment that NCAA Outdoor canceled, immediately there was no thought that I was going to be done with college. Um, for my, I couldn't give up another year of not monetizing videos and playing by the NCAA rules. Um, and my grad program was only one year long. I would have to get another grad program, pay more money for that, um, for just one outdoor season. It wasn't, I mean, I made the decision quickly, but not even i haven't even thought about it since right now like i i would have never chosen otherwise I, I don't think i missed out um you know i would have loved to have that final outdoor season be an all-american try to run 338 337 even you know just really crush it and i was in great shape going into outdoors so it sucks but it sucked for everyone else mm -hmm. and I'm probably one of like four or five other kids who even has a pro contract right now in college. So I know how lucky I am and I know how good of a situation I have. So I don't feel bad about it for a minute. Um, not going back. I'm, I'm sad that that's how college ended for me. Um, it's, it's just, it's disappointing, but I could be in such a worse spot right now. So I don't even think about it that way. Yeah. When you dreamed of your final, race in a georgetown uniform what was it at the time because i guess at that point it would have been ncaa's at the new hayward field possibly the 1500 final like what were, what were you envisioning that's exactly it i my whole tunnel vision of senior year outdoor was make ncaa's make the final and then you know it's one race you don't know what's mm -hmm. going to happen just do what you can and see if you can get all american see if you can pop off um at, at that point you're there and uh, it would have been awesome to go to Hayward Field like that. Um, and then, obviously, from there, the goal would have been the trials and mm -hmm. then, you know, look around for contracts after that. So that was sort of, like, the thought process with it. But there was this weird period during COVID where it was, like, no brands are hitting me up. Everyone is on a hold. Um, 
it was it was very uncertain and i was like i don't know how long i'm gonna be home for mm-hmm. um i didn't know where i was gonna move or anything like that um and then we kind of got this idea to go out to boulder for the summer and either stay here or if i could get the brooks situation to happen then go out to seattle and it really worked out great so between now and trials you're making the move out to seattle and then sort of like what kind of early benchmarks have you sort of set for yourself uh in the year ahead so first off i just want to build up a lot of strength i think that the the thing i was lacking um or that i feel like i can improve upon is that that 3k strength because i kind of got the 10k strength by the end of college i I kind of figured out cross country for a race or two i could put together a 10k once in a while um and then i can run 49 in the 400 and and well in the mile but i could never figure i never it's not that i could never figure it out i just never had that time to put together that 3k training Mm -hmm. so that's an event i'd really like to uh work on because i think it may not be my main event but i think that if i got my that that 63 pace really comfortable that would help in the long run and i've never done a 5k on the track um not saying i want to but uh (laughs) that type of training just and then really like this is where I go back to just being even keeled, like, you know, be training with the Brooksby's and, uh, stay healthy. Um, not get ahead of myself. Um, make sure I know my limits at practice, um, and, and really make sure I'm on the same page with, uh, everyone there. And, um, you know, with Danny Mackey and, and, and trust my coach and just, you know, have that long-term trust. Don't just, mm-hmm. don't, don't take it every day take it day by day but also know that you're trying to get better so you can be good in june and july of 2021 so as of right now this is super early you haven't met your future teammates like too closely yet what are the because this will probably come out before you even get out to seattle what are your early thoughts or impressions or what do you know about ribich what do you know about drew windle what do you know about sam uh i mean uh who is it josh kerr like, what are your thoughts on what they're going to be like working with on a day-to-day basis? I'm Like I said, I'm really trying to <laughs> just <laughs> figure that out when I get there. And, like, uh, I just want these guys to know that I'm, I'm first off, runner first. Mm-hmm. Not a YouTube, I'm not a YouTuber first. I've made that incredibly clear to Brooks. Um, and that I'm not just there to be their social media guy. And I'm all in on running. And I think that if I can earn their respect, which I don't at all expect to have it when I get out there, then I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, I have some weird history with all of those guys. I don't think that they know me that well, but like, you know, with Henry Wynn, I was always very much so in his shadow in high school. Um, with Brandon Kidder, I was, my my college debut, he broke the 1K collegiate record and ran 218. Was I was in that, State? yeah, I was in that race. Oh, really? I, that, was, that was my introduction to college. <laughs> Um, you know, with Josh Kerr, I watched him, I, on the line, my teammates took a picture of him. We're like, who is this guy, Josh Kerr? Five minutes later, he destroyed Chez at indoor NCAAs. So the, with all these guys, I have some sort of history with them. And I think that I know them a lot more than they know me, but I've kind of always been lurking around them, but, um, I'm just super excited to get out there, um, and, you know, be a person to them, not just some like annoying youtubers screaming i'm on brooks i'm on brooks and you know so i'm excited about it all all right final questions we ask every guest 
First one, funniest drug testing story you've got. I mean, I, I, I don't really have that many funny drug testing stories in college. Um, I, I guess just like waking up at like five and having to do it a couple of days before a race. Yeah, that yeah. was, I was really upset about that. Not that funny. I mean, as a pro, I'm sure that I will be getting drug tested a lot more and that's <laughs> probably why you ask those questions, but I don't have that many. Although actually, you know what? Yeah. I, I woke up very early, peed before the test and then got out there and then the guy had to be in the room with me when I peed and yeah, I yeah. just really couldn't do it. <laughs> I just really couldn't do it. It was uncomfortable. Got a little stage fright. So yeah. the guy was like, all right, man, when you're ready. And then I just left and sat down in a chair again and waited. So, yeah, that was, I guess, my funniest drug testing story. Meanest thing you've read about yourself on letsrun.com? I mean, that's a hard right? question yeah. because I'm probably one of the most – actually, I wouldn't say I'm that hated anymore. Most threads about me get deleted at this point. Really? Um, well, they get very hateful. Oh, okay. Yeah, meanest thing that was said about me – this year at cross country nationals, I finished in 205th place and I ran 33.07. But the title of the thread was Athlete Special Goes Home Devastated, finishes nearly last place and nearly 40 or 34 minutes. So they embellished it hardcore. <laughs> and that thread was above the thread for BYU upsetting um, <laughs> no NAU. People were celebrating that I blew up at NCAAs. They were so happy, and I didn't even care. I was like, well, I mean, I was upset I ran poorly, but I was like, let's run. You are undefeated. You can have this one again. Go for it. Um, so that was definitely the meanest. And that thread got deleted within an hour, but it was like nine pages yeah. of my biggest haters just absolutely <laughs> tearing me apart. I told you he wasn't going to do it. I told you he was burned out. I told you blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hey, you win some, you lose some. If you're getting attention on Let's Run, you're doing something right. Yeah. So, um, Do you read the comments on all uh, every comment on your YouTube page? Yeah, I do. And they're, my audience is so, so supportive. It's incredible. Um, I love the comments. I wish I would respond to more, but I kind of find that when I respond to one, I have to respond to all. So I don't always respond, but people who watch my videos send the nicest things. And I think they understand that I do, I do actually read what they say. So yeah, I... I do read what they say. I don't read all Let's Run threads about me, though, for real. There's sometimes are they, they, they are a little mean sometimes. Will you admit to – I don't know how it works because I'm sure if, if I was, like, out there searching for page views – I mean, uh, not page views, but, uh, like, views and all that kind of stuff on my video, you know, you'd create a fake username, you post a video, like, hey, did you see this workout? And then garner a couple clicks. Have you ever done that? Uh, I hate that I have to admit that I did when I was so much younger. I would don't I would don't I went from being hyped about being on Let's Run when I was a sophomore yeah, in college yeah. to hoping I'm never on there. When yeah. I was when I when I had like 900 followers on my channel, <laughs> my friend and I put a video out saying or a uh, thread the athlete special is better than flow track, something stupid. And it really wasn't at the time, <laughs> but yes, I for sure did that one time. I will admit that. I can tell sometimes like reading a thread. I'm like, I, I suspect that this might be this YouTuber trying to get a couple views. I think, I think that you can probably tell There's that. A way to play the game. Yeah. But I don't need to do that uh, anymore. I, I, if I did, <laughs> that's really sad. That is sad. What caused you to blow up on, uh, on Strava? because dude i don't know like I, I checked it the other day because i was looking for 
your mags run because Riley Masters told me to tell this to you that I think you need to do another mags run before you leave Boulder because he says the one you uploaded or that just watching the video it was trash. <laughs> he says you have to run mags all over again before you leave Boulder because the run you did based off the YouTube videos was trash. <laughs> I think you averaged what 640. 620 base first off riley masters really? yeah <laughs> but the other caveat was that you went 13 not 15 miles yeah so okay first off we did west mags which is the hard way That's, so i'm doing it tomorrow it's not it's not fun at all i'm doing one it, way out not out and back oh that's so easy then start from the <laughs> start from the easy part and go up because doing, west mags is yeah i'm doing the 7.5 or whatever it is yeah way. so i went I first, there's so many things I want to say to that comment, Riley <laughs> Masters. Fuck. Um, so, yeah, I I did 13 miles that day. I can't forget to mention that it was my fourth day at <laughs> at altitude, and I was at 9,000 feet at mags or 8,000 feet. Um, we did West Mags, which is the harder version. We did stop for five minutes at the bottom and take a little break. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I I don't know if there will be another mags run before I get leave here. I'm I'm kind of in time trial mode right now. I'm racing soon, but I will tip my hat to Riley Masters. I you could drop me on mags. I I don't care that much. <laughs> <laughs> With uh sort of the Colorado running scene, just seeing some of those segments and those averages, is it just like Jesus Christ? What are these people doing? It's just like a whole different world out here. Like I'm from Connecticut. Um, obviously I went to school in D.C. Um cool running areas but like everyone out here is a runner and like every time i go for a run i run by some sick runner on boulder or, you know mm -hmm. some pro on the on team or someone yeah. and it's just like it's such a fun community to be around uh we saw morgan pearson just at the track the other day and you just see everyone all the time um and then yeah i don't even look at the segments on strava because they're so discouraging for me <laughs> most people just yeah crush me but yeah it's it's just like it is another world out here. Uh, I love being in Colorado. I love the West. Mm -hmm. um, different. It's just, it's so different from and New York City as yeah. well. It's so crazy different from there. Um, awesome community, and I'm just glad to kind of have worked my way into it. Yeah. Who was Noah Drotti referring to in some sort of tweet or something like that? Did you see that? <sighs> yeah. I mean, we worked it out with Noah. Oh, Drotti. with you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we he yeah he was upset we weren't wearing buffs, but uh, we put them on and you know. I met I met Noah Drotti in real life, and he was like, "Look, man, I'm an asshole. We're all assholes. <laughs> We're cool now." So shout out to Noah Drotti. Um, yeah, I think I might be seeing him later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he's a cool guy. Like that's the thing. Like people want to talk trash to each other out here, and I'm sure I've pissed a bunch of people off. But like, give me the chance, meet yeah. me in person, and you'll know that it's kind of just it's for the it's for the people, it's for the kids out there. Mm -hmm. Just it's for entertainment. So. The more more people realize that, I think the the less upset with me and all the other guys out there they will be. All right, if you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, assuming they could hold a nice conversational pace with you, where would the run take place and who would it be with? <laughs> Noah Drotti on mags or? <laughs> <laughs> no, not Noah Drotti. Um, Daniel Radcliffe. Really? In North Korea. Wow, that's a, that's a that's a very unique answer. How did you arrive at both of those things? I uh, just watched some of the old Harry Potter movies the other day, and big fan of him. And mm -hmm. I actually saw him live on some Broadway musical a bunch of years ago. Is that the one with the horse? No, it was called How to Succeed in Business Without okay. Really Trying. So he's a talented guy. I'm. I think he's pretty cool. 
Um, and then North Korea, because I want to know what's going on in North Korea. You know, no so, one can go in, no one can go out. Like, I think that'd be a pretty cool run to go on. See what North Korea really is like. All right, final one. Uh, you get 25 shots from half court. If you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shot? Yeah, for sure. Really? I'm going to make that shot pretty quick. I'm trying to remember. You have a swimming background. Do you, you have basketball? Uh, I did rec basketball in high school, and I was pretty bad. <laughs> but I can throw the ball at half court, and chances are in 25 shots I'm going to hit it. This could be one of, like a really short athlete special video where you do the City of Smack basketball challenge, and it's 25 shots from half court, and we'll see if you make one. <laughs> if I don't, I just kill someone and go to jail. No, <laughs> Spencer, this is a blast. Thanks for doing this. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next in the next chapter of the athlete special with uh, now joining the Brooks Beast. So um, yeah, I mean, never forget where you where, where you started, which was pre YouTube, which was YouTube. Then we brought you on into the City of Smag family. <laughs> People forget that you ran one of the first fast blue jean miles. Yeah, and look at you now. Yeah, no. If you go on Sidious Mag and you go to the About page, I'm one of the original uh, yeah, writers, which is really I, that's my claim to fame with Chris. <laughs> but yeah, no. And then the Blue Jean Mile was so much fun to do. But yeah, we have known each other for years at this point, so it's been really cool to kind of see where we've kind of both ended up, yeah. and we're still kind of here. Yeah, Blue Jean Mile sub four. Are you gonna take a crack at it? Soon? Johnny made it tough for us. I think is not I could, easy. I think he could have gone way faster though. That's the thing. Yeah. I think that I. Th I don't know. Stay I think tuned. I can go 404. I think. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> we'll end it there. <laughs> that does it for this episode of the show. Many thanks to Spencer for taking the time to catch up in Boulder. If you enjoy the work that I do in putting together this podcast weekly for you, it would mean a lot for me if you made sure that you're subscribed. And if possible, leave a little review on Apple Podcasts. I'm also thrilled when you guys share us to your Instagram stories and let us know uh, that you like the show. If you're interested in receiving a weekly email with the biggest storylines, news updates, analysis, commentary, all the podcasts that we put out, it's coming out weekly. Sign up at cityasmag.substack.com. The link is also in the show notes, and it'll go out every Friday and hit your inbox. Many thanks to Gooder for sponsoring the show. Show some love for the sponsor. Pick up a pair of the most affordable performance sunglasses out there. They're only 25 bucks and they come in great styles. Visit gooder.com slash G-O-O-D-R dot com slash Sidious to see my favorite styles. Stay tuned for more information on the prediction contest that will come before October 2nd. With that said, I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Legs are feeling good. Eyes still looking gooder.